Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 10 of Revolutionary Space. Wow, it's the 10th episode, Gerard. I know. know. I'm your host, Ru Chen. And I'm your co-host, Gerard Delane. So let's get into it by talking about a topic that we mentioned last week, which is actually the time value of money. Yes. What do we mean by that? Yes, yes, yes. So... Time value money is a, it's an investment theory, um, and basically, in short, um, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. What does that mean? Like, if I give you a dollar today and you go run with it and you say you're going to give me back my money right. tomorrow, right? Does it mean that I should charge you a dollar fifty? Does it mean I should charge you like why 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 is it worth more today than tomorrow? So basically, you have what they call opportunity costs. Okay. So the person that's holding the dollar can go and do something with that opportunity. So if I had the dollar and I was trying to lend it to you, I could be going and buying ice cream with it or something. Right. Go buy ice cream, go buy, you know, whatever. But you can use it. You can utilize it. Right. If you give up that right to utilize it, right. um, you want something in exchange for it. Right. So I'm um, not just going to be a nice person about I'm it. I'm not just going to be a nice person, but there's some incentive for me to do that loan to you. And what is that opportunity cost? So basically the opportunity cost is that, that lost time that I had to to use that money. So, so I charge you interest okay. in exchange for losing that time. So you're saying that that is just a theoretical idea that differs between each lending party, correct? Right, for the most part. But everybody kind of functions under that premise. So for so, me, my time is very valuable, Gerard. So a dollar today, if you if you borrow a dollar from me today, I'm gonna to ask two dollars back. Tomorrow, <laughs> Fair enough. I'll keep that in mind. Tomorrow. I won't borrow from Long Shark Group. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically the investment world kind of works under that premise that if I give you my money, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to give me something back for that because now I can't invest with somebody else because okay. I'm investing with you. Okay. Right? Instead of investing with another person, I'm giving it to you. You have to give me something in return for that. Usually that's you know interest, right? So right. you have to give me some profit on top of this dollar that I'm giving you. Right. So okay. you're gonna take this money and start a business, you know, open a flower shop, buy a piece of land, buy a building, buy a house, whatever you're gonna do, right. um, you have to give me back some interest in exchange for that because I don't have it now to use it. So the longer you wait for, the less that dollar is worth. Exactly. And the higher the interest rate I would ask, the longer it goes out. Right. So if it's five days, Gerard, you're going to give me like, I don't know. Once again, I'm not borrowing from Long Shark Rue. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, so that's essentially how the investment world works, which is if I loan you money, um, you have to give me something back in exchange for that. Got it. Um, some sort of interest. Got it. So, so yeah, it's um, another important kind of subtopic is uh, risk reward. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the more risk there is in that investment you're going to do with that dollar, mm-hmm. the higher the reward I want. So, Gerard, what are you going to do with my dollar? So, if I told you, hey, Rue, I'm going to go buy a toxic waste dump. Um, and turn it into a kid's park, you would say, Gerard, that's really risky. Right. Um, I need a very high return in exchange for that. Correct. If you were crazy enough to give me the money to do that. Correct. Um, but... But if I said, hey, I'm going to go to this very nice neighborhood and build you know, a beautiful house, um, you would say, oh, there's not, that, there's not as much risk. I don't need as high of a return mm-hmm. as I would for the toxic waste dump. Right. So the risk, very, the amount of risk that you take is an actual dollar amount. 
Yes. When you're borrowing money. Yes. Yes. We are actually, we borrow money more often than we think. Correct. So let's talk about time value of money in terms of how debt operates. Correct. So one, you know, one of the really big ways that uh, debt is affecting a lot of people in America in particular is student loans. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I need this college degree. I need this college education. Right. But maybe I don't have all the money to pay for that right now. Right. So the government says, we will give you. Uh, debt. Well, government or a private lender. Or a private lender. Right. Says we will give you debt. We will give you the money so that you can get that education today. Mm-hmm. Um, you will pay us back, you know, at a future date. Right. Um, for X amount of dollars. Right. And I see. I think a lot of us, actually, especially in my generation, we. A lot of us have undertaken student debt and yes. massive amounts of student debt. So the cost of higher education has increased many times over the last couple of decades. Right. It's like 60000 a year, 50000 a year now. Yeah, it's pretty high. It's depending right. on what state you're in and private versus public. Times four. Uh, it's actually really high. So, yeah. So, yeah, so going to a school, um, you know, not even counting the cost of living. Right. Right. The apartment and just eating every day mm-hmm. um, is very expensive. And taking on debt is one way to get that accomplished, to get the degree that you can potentially go and get a job. Right. So let's talk about the difference between the debt from the government versus a private lender. So I know that the government has a lot of programs that, you know, subsidize and unsubsidized loans. Correct. Correct. What does that actually mean? So basically the government is saying, we will give you some money in order for you to get this education. Right. Um, the the one kind of piece is that you can never get rid of government debt. Why? Uh, they just won't let you. So even if you bankrupt or you or or you do a bankruptcy, mm-hmm. um, that debt will stay with you. The government debt does not leave. Well, unless you're in a debt relief program or something like that, or you do service for the government, or service for the government is different right. than filing for bankruptcy. So yes, there are certain programs if you're like school teacher or something. There's a few things out there. You work for nonprofits. Right. There are some forgiveness programs that are out there yes. that allow that to happen. Yes, but. Uh, for the vast majority of us, no, you you have that debt forever. The government <laughs> says we will give you the money, but you have to. Pay Is that it why it's low interest compared to the private lender? Because uh, they know they're going to get their money back some one way or another. That's part of it. Also, you know, the cost of them borrowing money is cheaper than everybody else because of the government. Right. So the government can take money from. Wells Fargo or Chase or something, and they pay a very small interest rate. Right. Um, let's say one. Just because they have good credit. Right, because they have the credit, right? So they can borrow for one percent and then lend it to you for five percent. Right. Or four percent, and for you, four percent is like, oh, that's not that bad. But for them, they make that profit in between one percent and four percent. How does that relate to you know, say like U.S. Treasury bonds? So U.S. Treasury bonds um, is the rate at which uh, lenders um, borrow and lend money. Okay. Um, often to each other. Mm-hmm. But it's an uh, actual it's an actual bond, like. Yeah, yeah, there's an actual bond that the government has, but that helps that helps to guide up and down the price of money. 
So like how much interest people are charging? How much interest people are charging. Okay. So if the government bonds, the cost for banks to get money goes up, then the Everyone. cost for borrowers to get money also goes up. Right. That's why you hear a lot of people, you know, screaming about interest rates are going up these days and like right. this and this and this. Right. Because it's directly tied to the government's kind of use of money. And that is directly tied to the economic cycle. And that is directly tied to the economic cycle. So when we're hitting a boom, interest rates are going to go up. Yes. And when we're hitting a crash... They bring it down to try to slow the car down, basically. Right. right? When the economy looks like it's crashing, they try to reduce interest rates to like lower so the, the Fed blow. is actually reduced... Like the Fed is actually in control of these interest rates. Correct. Okay. Correct. The Fed, which is a... Quasi private, quasi government. <laughs> this is all entity. like it's all mushed together. I know, private I know, and I public know. entities. But yeah, their job is you know to, to keep the economy going. So they you know it's a lot of really smart economists that are there. They're looking at a bunch of different metrics about are things going good, are things going bad? Do I see something bad? And they happening? artificially raise or lower the interest rate. But yeah, yeah. Like hey, these things are bad. Let's proactively do something so that. Things don't go off the rail. Or things are going really good right now. Now we can actually slowly raise interest rates to actually slow things down. Right. So that it doesn't crash and burn. So how, do, mm-hmm. how, how much does the Fed's interest rate relate to, you know, the government loan interest rates? Because I know it affects private lenders way more than government lenders. So I'm not sure uh, that correlation. It's all about the same. I mean, by government lenders, I'm guessing you're talking about Fetty, Fannie and Freddie. Yes. Um, it's about the same. I mean, Fannie and Freddie are slightly less than, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase. Okay. Depending on the loan size, of course. Um, but it's all about the same. Like, if the Fed raises its rate, then the cost of getting a Fannie and Freddie home loan mm-hmm. also goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess let's talk about that for a second. So okay. Fannie and Freddie, for those who don't know, is another quasi-government entity um, that actually was created to help encourage home ownership in America. Okay. And I think somewhere around 75% of all home purchases um, are purchased through FHA uh, government-backed program mm-hmm. that gives reduced interest rates mm-hmm. for mortgages. Mm-hmm. Got it. So in And the- slightly higher risk. So whereas a bank would require you to have like a 680 credit score, you could actually get a FHA mortgage at a 630 credit score. Okay, let's talk about credit scores for a second. Sure. What are credit scores? Ah, <laughs> that's funny. We were talking about this yesterday. Separate topic. But uh, credit scores essentially are a metric that a lender can look at an individual or company and see, you know, what is the likelihood that they'll pay me back? Right. Um, what are their trends with money? Mm-hmm. Do they pay back their loans? Do they pay back the minimum amount? Mm-hmm. Do they run up too much debt? Do they pay their rent? Do they pay their rent or mortgage, for that matter, their car? Yes. Um, do they have a phone bill they just didn't pay and just walked away from and just don't care about and just right. sitting on them? Uh, did they foreclose on their house last year? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is their income consistent? Have they been at the same company? Have they jumped around a lot? Right. Uh, that essentially is baked into your credit score, and there's three major credit bureaus that um, that are charged with measuring that on an ongoing basis. So what's considered a good credit score? Good credit score is 660 to 680. Okay. Um, I think excellent credit is somewhere over 7, 710. Okay. 
Um, and then once you get over, I think like 750 is all basically the same. Right. All, all the barring is basically the same after right. that point. Got it. Um, below 630 is like not very good credit. So how do you fix your credit if it's low? Uh, you know, we should do an episode just on credit. But okay. very quick answer um, is pay all your debts down to below 30%. Mm-hmm. Make your payments on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't have a bunch of new credit inquiries. Mm-hmm. Like not trying to get a bunch of credit cards and trying to get a new cell phone mm-hmm. and trying to get a car and trying to get a house. Mm-hmm. Don't have a lot of those. If you can go two years without a credit entry mm-hmm. in uh, inquiry um, that's good for your credit if you keep all your credit scores or if you keep all your credit cards below 30% mm-hmm. that's good for you and if you have a variety of different types of credit right. one of the things a lot of people get wrong is they figure oh I just won't use credit and that'll be good right no unfortunately it doesn't work that way right, because they need to see that you're reliable they want to see that you're reliable so you have to use it that you can use credit that yes. you're a good borrower not right. that you're hiding in just off the grid. Not that you don't need to borrow. Not that you don't need to borrow. Because when you do need to borrow, how do they, how do they know? How do they know what is your track record in yes. performance? Yes. So that, you know, in a nutshell is how credit works. All right. So let's talk about banking, which is like the third arm after yes. investment strategy and debt, the third arm of the time value of money. So Right. So banks use time value money as kind of their principle of working, right? So mm-hmm. for example, people have savings accounts, right? Mm-hmm. So savings account, you take your dollar and you put it in the bank and say, mm-hmm. all right, you hold that for me instead of me putting it under my couch or under my mattress, right? Mm-hmm. The bank, because they're holding your money, they actually can use the money while they're holding it yes. to do something with it. So the longer you let them hold the dollar, they'll allow you to get interest. Right. Um, obviously, that interest is some number lower than the amount of profit they're making right. by yes. lending the money out on the other side. Right. So what's the difference between a savings and a checking account? Checking an account is an account that you use on an ongoing basis. Is there a difference in the amount of interest? Well, there's typically no interest on checking accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the general principle is you're using it all the time. Right. So there's a lot of withdrawals on an ongoing basis. Checks, right? You're mm-hmm. writing out money mm-hmm. all the time out of that account. Got it. Savings accounts are meant to receive money on an ongoing basis. And you're not supposed to be taking money out on an ongoing basis. Right. And a lot of them are set up that if you withdraw over three to five times, Mm -hmm. they'll send you a notice and say, hey, this is a savings account. You're not supposed to be withdrawing three, four times a month. And some, after you do it for a few months, will literally just convert your account to a checking account. Yeah. And just say, this is a checking account. You're no longer getting interest, but yeah, sure, continue to withdraw. Because they need to know that they can use your money to do something with it. Exactly. And banks also do like... They loan. They do overnight loans to each other. They do the loans to themselves. They lend to you know corporate entities. Um, you know, then there's the whole mortgage-backed security space uh, that a lot of banks participate in. So yeah, it's it's actually big business. But the you know the underlying underlying tone is that if they can hold that dollar, mm-hmm. um, they could do something with it, and they're willing to pay you. You know, a little bit for CDs. Your opportunity cost. Your opportunity cost. So yes. CDs is a good example. They're saying, hey, give us this money and let us hold it for nine months. Yes. I just saw something earlier today. CDs, nine months, 2%. Best believe that bank is probably making 10% yes. during that nine months of that course. you promised that they could hold it. So what did the banks put their money into or put your money into during that time? Uh, a lot of things. So like, you know, the... Wells Fargo, City, 
you know, JP Morgan Chase, kind of the big players in the banking space, mm -hmm. they have a bunch of ways they invest money. Mm -hmm. So they invest in corporations. Mm -hmm. They invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, so short-term and long-term holdings. Yeah, they invest in a lot of different things. Uh, they do investment banking. There's a lot of different spaces where they put money mm -hmm. because they're holding a lot of money. Yeah. Um, although, you know... And if you're holding a lot of money, if you don't, you're not growing it, it basically not, shrinks in value because exact, of the time value of money. Exactly, which comes back to time value of money. Yes. Right? So they need, know they need to put up money because they need to put it to work because they understand, yeah, over time, like this inflation thing catches up, yeah. um, which could, you know, break you even or make it worth right. less than it was worth before. Which is why you don't put your money in a couch because it's going to be worth a lot less once you dig it, right. dig that up. Versus leaving later. it in a savings account where you're getting that benefit of getting interest um, and the bank gets... Which hopefully outclimbs inflation. Hopefully outclimbs inflation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. I think that was a great introduction to time value of money. Cool. Um, let's talk more about credit. Let's do that. Next week. Credit's a good one. And we'll see you later. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.